Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy. Welcome, brothers and sisters, to Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. God's grace and peace be unto you this fine day, a day the Lord has made, and we're commanded to rejoice and be glad in it no matter what life throws at us. Um, I want to start this episode uh, with a great line from the movie Princess Bride. It's actually one of my favorite movies of all time, along with, yeah, It's a Wonderful Life, Frank Capra and James Stewart, such a tremendous movie. And uh, this line kind of captures the essence of what I want to discuss in this episode. And so there's this uh, exchange uh, between Princess Buttercup and Wesley or the Dread Pirate Robert. So Princess Buttercup says, you mock my pain. And so Roberts responds or Wesley, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. And I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, for you who have lived in this life long enough, there is so much truth communicated uh, in that exchange, in that movie. So today, by God's grace, we're going to discuss a biblical worldview on a topic most of us do not like to deal with, and that is the topic of suffering. You know, I I was thinking at some point to do a series like whatever happened, you know, like whatever happened to sin, you know, whatever happened to hell, like whatever happened to the devil, you know, and really like whatever happened to our understanding of suffering when it comes to this poor fallen world that is subject to sin and darkness and demons and a huge struggle to survive uh, and overcome in this life. And so we're going to look at that today from a biblical uh, perspective. We're going to, you know, obviously investigate what the scripture says and and, uh, we're going to follow our our Lord's example when it comes to suffering uh, the apostles and all those who have gone before us. But before I do that, I just wanted to make this interesting observation. Um, when I was preparing uh, for this message, I just kind of went on the internet and did a search on religious symbols or images and kind of what they represent. And it's kind of an interesting study and uh, because, you know, they use uh, symbols and images to kind of communicate, 
you know, what the religion may be all about. So, you know, in regards to Judaism, you know, we have the Star of David. Uh, when it comes to Islam, it has the crescent moon with the star. And, you know, most of these images are not necessarily evil in themselves, even though every religion apart from Christ uh, is a false religion by definition, for Jesus is the only way, the only life, the only truth. No man comes to the Father except by him. And uh, so we you know we need to understand that. But just looking at the symbols themselves doesn't necessarily commu communicate something evil. Uh, but then you have others like, like, let's say, like Buddha. And I've, I've seen, you know, different depictions of Buddha, you know, and one of them, it, it's kind of like weird. You know, he, you have this overweight guy. I mean, honestly, like a fat guy. Right. And he looks drunk and he's kind of laughing his full head off. And, uh, you know, these are depictions. These are images. These are symbols to represent something about a person's religion. And of course, uh, when you go to the dark side of things, I mean, you, you know, you find grotesque, you know, images, you know, evil, wicked depictions, and some of them are just flat out demonic. And so, you know, you know, the realms you're entering in uh, when you adopt these kinds of symbols and these kind of images uh, and, uh, you know, sort of follow the course that th those images set in place. So, you know, these are just interesting things. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I want you to think with me, brothers and sisters, what is the symbol or image of Christianity? We, we do have one. Uh, it's universal. Um, the Catholics, of course, put our Lord upon it. But most evangelicals, this symbol is empty. And of course, I'm speaking of the cross. And, you know, what is the cross? And when you investigate the matter, I mean, this is probably one of the most agonizing forms of capital punishment known to men. You know, we wear crosses as necklaces and, and you know, recently, you know, to, to do a comparative deal, uh, you know, we're talking about carrying a form of capital punishment. So you could easily put like an electric chair, you know, and hang that around your neck or a lethal injection needle, kind of hang that around your neck. But in the time of Christ, it was crucifixion. And this is where we get the term excruciating, which means agony that comes from the cross. Now, brothers and sisters, whether we like it or not, this is the symbol. This is the image of Christianity, and it does represent our religion. Now, don't get hung up. On that word religion, I know a lot of 
modern day Christians don't like that term. You know, we speak in terms of we have a relationship with God, not necessarily a religion with God. But hey, the Bible itself speaks about pure and undefiled religion before God is what? You know, visit the widow and the orphan and the distress and keep yourself unspotted from the world. So listen, God is not afraid or he's not weird about the term religion. It's in the scriptures and we need, we don't need to get weird about it either. It's there. So, you know, be at peace with that, okay? So anyway, you know, when you think about the cross, that's the symbol of our religion, um, Obviously, it tells us something about our creator, God, uh, as he looks on the plight of his fallen creatures. Um, he knows, you know, since the fall, you know, that introduced, you know, sin, death, hell, and the grave, uh, it also introduced um, this reality called suffering and i don't think it's a coincidence that the lord the messiah the christ chose crucifixion to demonstrate not only his commitment to heavenly father and the holy spirit where they decided to work out this redemptive plan before the worlds began but I also think it demonstrates how much Christ identifies with the plight of humanity. He knows firsthand by becoming one of us the incredible struggle with suffering. Uh, he partook of it, brothers and sisters. And, and to levels and realms, we cannot possibly comprehend. And so he, he so identifies with our struggles in this world. And the Bible speaks of him as this faithful high priest. This is Hebrews 4.15. It says, For we do not have a high priest, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he knows all about suffering, but his sufferings did not proceed from sin. Uh, Hebrews goes on to explain this. It says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, now listen to this, with vehement cries and tears. This is our Lord. You know, I, I, some of us, we're so intellectual, we're so sophisticated in our theology and our doctrine. Um, we... Uh, we don't put a lot of our heart into things. We, we tend to live our faith more into the, in the intellectual realms. And I'm not 
I'm not necessarily condemning that, brothers and sisters. I know we're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I know God does not put a premium on stupidity uh, or being dumb or being irrational or being illogical. I get that. But here's our Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when he was here, you know, clothed in humanity. Uh, he, he would pray. Uh, he, he, it says that he not only cried out, it was vehement. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of passion. That's a lot of emotion. And yes, he wept. And, and he's crying out to the one who can save him from death, his heavenly father. We, we see that so clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says he was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, capital S, yes, the same son that the Old Testament spoke about in Proverbs chapter 30, you know, what is his name? Speaking of God, what is his son's name? Speaking of the Messiah, of course, Psalm chapter 2, you know, kiss the son, worship him, because uh, if you don't, he has a rod in his hand, he's going to bust you up, that son. It says, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, understand, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the sinless, perfect Lamb of God. He never failed once in his thinking, in his belief, or in his actions. Okay, we have to understand that. If that is not true... He cannot be the proper substitute that can make a propitiation for our sins. Yet this sinless, perfect Lamb of God learned obedience by the things which he suffered. In other words, when push came to shove, when he is living out the will of his Father, he only does what he sees his father do. He only says what he hears his father speak. He is walking in the fullness of the spirit and complete obedience to the father's will. And he knew it and he was living it out. But there were times when reality, the reality of that hit him like a ton of brick. And it's at that point he learned obedience. And we know the story, brothers and sisters. This is why he cried out. Is there any other way? Is there another option? Father, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And thanks be to God. He said that, brothers and sisters. And if he doesn't say it and he doesn't follow through, we're toast here today with no hope. And so praise be to God. But I just wanted to see that, you know, even in even in our Lord, um, not only did, did he identify with our suffering by coming to this planet, um, he he learned obedience by suffering. And so we see this not only in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but also when it came to the call of the Apostle Paul. Now, obviously, you know, 
Apostle Paul is a heavyweight apostle, champion, you know, of the gospel of the kingdom. You know, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. Um, God powerfully used him to bring the gospel of the kingdom to the Gentiles. And so, you know, in his conversion, uh, I think you all know the story. I mean, uh, you know, Apostle Paul was, uh, he was very zealous for the tradition of his fathers in Judaism. Uh, he not only uh, disliked the new sect of Christianity, um, he, he not only uh, personally um, attacked it, but he he actually went the extra mile. He he got papers, you know, from the authorities uh, to go throughout the world and hunt down and bring the so-called justice anybody who acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord of, of, of their life. I mean, this guy was full of zeal. I mean, he was going to crush Christianity under his foot, uh, you know, to maintain um, what he thought was the true religion in the world, Judaism. And so he, he, he was above and beyond the call of duty. Well, of course, you know, um, that fateful day, you know, he has these papers and he's going forth. I believe it was in Damascus and that that light shines from heaven. God in his power knocks Paul off his high horse. Um, he's blinded and the Lord speaks to him. And this is powerful, brothers and sisters. It's, it's so good. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Saul, who will later become Paul, never laid a finger on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he, he wasn't there at the crucifixion. Uh, we have no knowledge of that. So uh, there's nowhere in the Bible that says Paul had some kind of uh, relationship or communication or contact with the physical person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yet, when Jesus confronts him, he says, why are you persecuting me? Now, brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're going through in life. I don't know how hard it may be. I don't know what your struggles is. But listen, if you are suffering persecution for the cause of Christ, understand this. Jesus is saying to Saul, when you touch my people, you're touching me. When you mess with my people, you are messing with me. When you are persecuting my people, you are persecuting me. And the truth that the Lord is communicating here so powerfully that we in the Lord are one. This is why the Bible says that we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, that we are one in the Lord. That's why the, the scriptures tells us that the you know, the marriage between a man and a wife, this is a great mystery, but it speaks of Christ and his church. And so, you know, here, you know, Saul at this you know, dramatic intervention of the Lord, he is humbled. 
uh, and you know he's uh, he's obviously devastated, and uh, and so the Lord calls this brother Ananias um, to visit the apostle Paul. And of course, that was a pretty scary deal. I mean, Ananias knew that uh, he had papers and. He was hunting uh, people down like him. Uh, it was a pretty scary assignment. And God assures him, no, you go uh, and you minister to him. And um, now what's interesting, <laughs> brothers and sisters, please hear this, because I, you know, I've been raised in the charismatic tradition and I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, um, you know, but I have seen a lot of spooky spiritual stuff, a lot of gobbledygook that's passed off as the Holy Spirit. And it's not, it's craziness. Um, um, but I, I will tell you, there's, there's a lot of people in the charismatic movement, you know, they, they want to receive words from the Lord, you know, prophetic words, right? And Growing up in that tradition, you know, most of the times, though, you know, those so-called prophetic words, you know, are, you know, it's, it's like generic. The Lord loves you. He's going to bless you. He's going to prosper you, you know, yada, yada, yada. You know what I mean? And obviously, if you want um, a word from the Lord, you need to know the word of the Lord, which means study the scriptures, because that's mostly how God communicates with his people. Now, I do believe the gifts are still operational. I've seen them function. I've seen miraculous happenings as a result of that. And I'm never going to deny that for nobody or nothing, okay, because it's true. Um, but the point being, when the Lord calls the Apostle Paul to the ministry, this was part of the word. You tell him how much he's going to suffer for me. And the cause of the gospel of the kingdom. I mean, you talk about a prophetic word. Whoa. Like how many would go to church to receive a, a word like that? You know, not how much the Lord's going to bless me, how much the Lord's going to prosper me. But let me tell you, kid, you follow, you serve, you obey me. Let me tell you how much you're going to suffer for my namesake. And uh, true to the Lord's promise, we know that Paul suffered extreme peril, like everywhere he went in service to our king and the advancement of his kingdom, right? And uh, the same is true even for the other apostle, apostles. Like, we, you know, we, we, we just follow them in the book of Acts. You know, and there's, that, there's those times, you know, he's, they're standing before rulers, authorities, and councils. And, you know, they're threatening them not to teach nor preach in the name of Jesus, you know, and they're threatening them with beatings, imprisonment, and even martyrdom, you know. And um, there's that one um, incident, you can find it in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. And uh, after they're rebuked and threatened, the scripture says that they went away rejoicing. Okay, that's kind of a weird response. I mean, you get threatened with beatings and jail and 
maybe even uh, a threat of death, um, they don't come away, you know, downcast or depressed or scared or anything like that. Their response is just golden. Uh, their response was they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer. Not many Christians negotiating through this world, do I believe, have that same kind of response when it comes to the challenges that we face. But they certainly did. And so, you know, we see, uh, uh, well, it's not, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong passage about this actual time where they were counted worthy to suffer shame. The point I was making in Acts chapter 4, in fact, I want to go over there real quick there. I want to read this to you. This is Acts chapter 4. Let me get there. Excuse me. Acts 4. I want you to listen to this incredible narrative. Right? So... This is after, again, they've been threatened and, um, you know, they were let go. And it says in verse 23 of chapter 4, uh, pay close attention to this. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? There, they're quoting one of my favorite passages, Psalm 110 verse 1. And it says, oh, excuse me, Psalm chapter 2. And it says, the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now watch this. Now look on their threats. And I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, throughout the Bible, you know, there were times where God's people, you know, laid out their petition to the Lord. You know, behold their threats. And grant, now watch this, and grant to your service, servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. There is so much to unpack in this thing. But one thing I wanted to mention, by the way, these are the same people that were gathered in Acts chapter 2. 
when God poured out his Holy Spirit. I just want you to see um, in just a few chapters later, the Holy Spirit is showing up again, falling upon them, filling them, and they're speaking the word of God with boldness. The other thing I wanted to mention to you, what's missing from this narrative? I mean, they're clearly in danger. They are clearly being threatened, okay? Their stuff, their freedom, and even their lives are hanging in the balance here. The one thing that is curiously missing, there is no mention of save us, Lord, or deliver us from their threats, or protect us uh, from evil. There's, there's none of that in their response. What are they asking for? Do it again, Lord. Do it again. And grant us even more power. Grant us even more presence of your spirit. You know, grant us more gifts of the spirit. And that, you know, you would heal and that signs and wonders would follow the faithful preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. And so, the, brothers, this is what I want you to understand. This is, this is how the early church kind of dealt with the issue of suffering. Um, and like I said, it's a, it's a marked difference on how Christians view it today. So here, here's what we must come to comprehend. We live in a poor, fallen world. It's filled with sin, demons, darkness, and that means suffering cannot be avoided. You know, it's like the beginning line, right? You mock my pain. Well, you know, what is Dread Pirate Robert says? Life is pain, Highness. And anyone who says differently is selling something. And believe me, there's a lot of religious hucksters out there that want to sell certain things. And one of the things they want to sell is if you follow Christ, you won't suffer in this world. And I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Our Lord went through suffering. The apostles went through suffering. And let me tell you, we will not escape that. It's a part of our walk with Christ in this fallen world. So, but here's the truth of the matter. We're going to suffer, and I don't care who you are, Christian or not. Well, um, well, I'll make a distinction of that later. But there's two main reasons why we suffer. First, we suffer as a consequence of sin. And I find it interesting in the atonement. Like you remember when um, the four... Uh, friends carried that one paralytic and they busted through Peter's roof and lowered him. It's, it's interesting, the Lord's response. He says, son, your sins are forgiven you. And of course, everybody went mad, went crazy. Only God can forgive sins. Well, then you may know I have the power to forgive sins. Rise up, take up your bed and go home. 
And I want you to see in the Lord's, um, uh, you know, discourse there, he's connecting sin to suffering. And, and there really is a direct connection between our sin and our mental breakdowns, uh, you know, um, the psychotic episodes we have when we sin and the physical breakdown. I mean, it just rots the bones. Okay, there, there is a direct connection between sin and suffering. And I don't think it's a coincidence when the Bible describes the Lord's sacrifice on the cross. You know, he carried away our, our sins, our sorrows, and by his stripes were healed, right? Um, and I don't think that's just spiritual healing. I think God can heal people's minds that are tormented. And I've seen God heal you know, sick and broken bodies. I, I've seen it with my own eyes. I've prayed for people and it's happened. Okay. I know it's rare. It doesn't happen every day, but it does happen. Okay. So praise be to God for his mercy towards us. Okay. So, you know, we will suffer as a consequence of our sin. And that can work for us, brothers and sisters. You know, the psalmist recorded, this is in Psalm 119, verse 67, and this is so true in my life, and I'm sure you can relate. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Yes, we're gaining wisdom here, grasshopper. And so, as Christians, we have to understand we do have a loving Heavenly Father, and He will discipline us uh, when we go astray, when we willfully sin, and we continue to disobey. He will step in. He will chastise us. In fact, the Bible says He will scourge us, and that's a pretty, like, heavy-duty term. Like, you know, the Lord was scourged before He went to the cross. In other words, God will beat the daylights out of us, you know, if we continue to practice sin and willfully disobey, right? Why? Because he's a father and he wants, you know, his best for our lives to bring forth that peaceable fruit of righteousness. Okay, so we, we got to understand that, you know, yes, we will suffer as a consequence of our sin. But as Christians, we can also suffer another way, and that is for doing what is right before God. But here's the promise, according to 1 Peter, that if we suffer for being a Christian, God's glory and His Spirit rests upon us. See, there, there's an aspect to this, brothers and sisters, and, you know, we talk about it all the time, right? You know, the, the martyrdom of the saints, you know, is the, you know, the growth of the church, right? Um, you know, there's, there's that aspect to it, you know. I, I think there's a, a plant, I, I forget what it's called, maybe, I don't, I don't know what it is. I forget the name of it, but the, the beauty of this plant is the more you step on it, the more it grows. And that's really um, the way Christianity, you know, has spread. And so we do have to understand as Christians, when we walk in obedience to the Lord, that will put us in conflict, you know, with sin, with darkness, with demons, with this illegitimate world system. 
uh, and there will be blowback. There, you know, there will be attacks. There'll be persecution. You know, just like we see throughout the scriptures, right? We'll we'll experience that, okay? But when we do, the Bible says God's spirit and his glory rests upon us. And so there's a, a redemptive aspect to suffering. And um, we kind of see this even in the life of Moses. Okay, so in the book of Hebrews, the scriptures talk about by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. I mean, that's an incredible statement. I mean, Moses was living high on the hog. I mean, he, you know, he grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He had all the advantages, right? You know, Harvard, Yale, you know, the Egyptian, you know, higher learning institutions, right? I mean, he's, he's in line. I mean, he's, he's got so much uh, favor, so much advantages, but then he starts looking on the plight of his people and uh, he just walks away from it. Lays it down. And, and listen, and he chose, he chose to suffer. He chose to suffer. Well, why, why would a sane person do that when you have all the advantages at your disposal? Okay, you're going to you know, climb high the corporate ladder. You're going to be a success in life. Why do you lay all that down? Why do you walk away? Why do you choose suffering? Well, he had a revelation. Okay, and it's two things. He viewed the Lord as a greater treasure than the treasures of Egypt. And listen, he looked to the reward. You know, so many people, you know, even Christians, a lot of Christians, we live our life to sow temporal investments to receive temporal rewards. Can I, can I admonish you? Could I challenge you? I'm not saying all that is wrong, but it's limited. Brothers and sisters, we're only on this, this stage of life what 70 years 80 years if you're strong it's it's a puff it's a you know it's a it's a vapor it's here and then it's gone that's our life here on earth eternity there is no time it's just forever it's a whole different realm can i tell you come up with a plan seriously come up with an investment plan for eternity this is not a dress rehearsal this life we have right now here on earth, it is fleeting and it's not a dress rehearsal. We got one time and one time only to pour it out in service to our king. And so, brothers and sisters, could I just admonish you, like wherever you go, whatever you do, you know, have eternity in mind. Make that in eternal investment so you can receive the eternal reward. And that's clearly what Moses did. And then, of course, we have this admonishment from the Apostle Paul, and we know he suffered so much for the cause of Christ. That 
prophetic word that Ananias gave him, oh yeah, it came to pass powerfully in his life. But I want you to uh, listen to how he responded to that struggle. And it's an outstanding truth. Now notice what he says. He says, for our light affliction. Like you, you go through Corinthians, just, just take a look at the different perils that the Apostle Paul went through. Like he was, he was flogged, I guess, five times. Remember when the Lord got scourged? You know, 39 times minus one, lest they die. That happened five separate times to the Apostle Paul. It says he was beaten with rods three times. You know what that means? They put you on your back, put your feet up in stocks, and just beat the bottom of your feet mercilessly. You know, and how did the Apostle Paul get around spreading the gospel of the kingdom? Well, I'm sure maybe sometimes he had horses or a donkey, but a lot of times he just walked. Could you imagine the condition of his feet trying to get from point A to point B? And then he goes through all these different perils. He's constantly in danger. He's constantly escaping death. You know, he's being stoned and peril, you know, in the sea, peril in the land, peril on false brethren, on and on and on and on and goes. And he calls this a light affliction. What a perspective. I don't think none of us, if we, we added up all that we've gone through, as he went through and called that a light affliction, but he did. But he says, it's just for a moment. Yes, this too shall pass. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how hard it is. This too shall pass. But it says this light affliction is working for us. Listen, it works for us. When we suffer as Christians in service to our king, it's producing for us. It's working for us. Listen, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Light affliction, eternal weight of glory. And that wording is not by accident, brothers and sisters. It's sort of like in the, you know, uh, you know, in Genesis 3.15, you know, I'm going to, you're going to bruise his heel and he's going to crush your head, right? So bruised heel, what is that? Crucifixion, right? And that is terrible. No, nobody would ever compare the crucifixion to a bruised heel, but God did, right? And then right after that, he says, and then he is going to crush your head. Listen to that wording. And by the way, the crucifixion, the bruised heel, it's the same event. When Christ gets a bruised heel by crucifixion, that's when he crushes the head of Satan. And be of good courage, brothers and sisters, because the Bible says the God of peace shall shortly bruise Satan under our feet. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, listen, God doesn't sugarcoat, you know, our walk in this world. You know, we're up against it. We're up against a threefold enemy. Our sinful flesh, the devil, the demonic realm, and this illegitimate world system that is in rebellion against God's loving and just rule. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. It says even if we attempt to live godly in Christ Jesus, 
we will suffer persecution. What's amazing about that doesn't even say we obtain it. If we just think about it, if we just desire it, if we desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, we'll suffer persecution, right? Jesus told us, you know, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify it that its works are evil. But he did go on to say, because the world hates me, it's going to hate you too, right? He promised that in his word. Now, when he talks about, you know, the world cannot hate you, he, he's talking to his actual stepbrothers, okay? And they're trying to bait him. You know, there's a feast of tabernacles coming up, and they're like, hey, you know, if you're such a holy guy, you know, you know, don't hide, you know, just, you know, go to the feast, make yourself known. You know, what, why, are you, why are you hiding? And here's the thing, brothers, is I, I believe these stepbrothers clearly knew that there were forces of darkness that wanted him dead. And there was a real danger of him going there. Now, he did end up going, and it was kind of a controversy, but I wanted to put that in the context, right? Because the reason why the world hates Christ is that he testifies of what we're thinking and doing and believing. It's evil. The works of our life are evil, right? And he said, if I had not come, the cloak would remain. Like you could still hide your sin. But because I have come, I removed the cloak and now all of our sin is exposed he was the mirror that came down and exposed us so what did we do smash the mirror right crucify him well thanks be to god he was raised from the dead amen but the lord uh picks up the same thing right and um in john chapter 3 verses 19 through 21 listen to these words he says and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. And Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And if we're born again, we are children of the light. Well, evil hates the light, and anybody in which that light resides. They hate it, and they do not come to the light. Why? Lest their deeds should be exposed. I'm telling you, the Lord, through the cruci crucifixion and resurrection, he just lays low the religious pride of men. He exposes who we are, what we think, what we do as evil. But he, now listen, but he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And brothers and sisters, quite frankly, that's what we're up against, right? Jesus gave us the Great Commission. 
Go into all the world, disciple the nations, baptize them, make sure they keep my commandments, right? That's the divine task of the church. Well, how many know men and nations are not going to receive that news anon with joy? Well, welcome to the battle and welcome to redemptive suffering as we minister the truth of the gospel of the kingdom in this fallen world. And, and the Bible tells us that if we're going to follow the Lord, if we're going to serve, love, and obey Him, if they hated the Lord, they're going to hate us. Uh, listen to the Apostle Paul's instructions, right? We find this in Ephesians 5, 11. He states, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So what happens when you expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Well, if they're going to double down uh, in the rebellion of uh, uh, against God, if they're going to double down in darkness, they're going to hate you for it. They're going to slander you. They're going to try to persecute you. They're going to attack you, right? Uh, that's and, and, and by the way, when they do that, brothers and sisters, don't take it personal. Because Jesus said, you know, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, right? And he said, if they don't receive you, it's not you they're not receiving. It's me and the one who sent me. They're not rejecting you, brothers and sisters. They're rejecting the one who lives inside of you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're, we're under no illusions here. The scripture tells us through much tribulation, we're going to enter the kingdom of our Lord. Paul stated in Thessalonians that we were appointed unto afflictions. Listen to that. Appointed unto afflictions. And on and on it goes. The Bible warns us of these things. He says, thinking not strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try us. And yet we do, brothers and sisters, every time we get hit. We think it's a strange thing. Doesn't the Lord love me? Doesn't he care about it anymore? Does he hear my prayers? Where are you, God? When, you know, the slings of outrageous fortune are hitting me left and right, you know? We go through that, brothers and sisters. But I'm telling you, even in the midst of that, all right, understand God's word also assures us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There are precious promises where God calls us overcomers. He calls us more than conquerors. It says we always triumph in his name. Let's just listen to these glorious words. This, I, love, I love the chapter of Romans. It's one of my favorite chapters. It says this, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us now here's the interesting thing and the church we we misrepresent this passage of scripture in so many ways a, a lot of preachers want to say you know apart from these things or around these things we are more than conquerors now the things the apostle paul is talking about listen it's tribulation, it's distress, it's persecution, it's famine, it's nakedness, peril, and even the sword. Now listen, 
He says, in all those things that I just named, we are more than conquerors and nothing will ever separate us from the love of Christ. Praise be to his holy name. And so, brothers and sisters, the big takeaway I want you to get from this episode is if we're going to be effective in this battle for the souls of men, the lives of babies, and the future of our beleaguered nation, we got to get over the suffering and death issues. You know, becoming dead to sin and alive to God makes you a very dangerous Christian. Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Oh, brothers and sisters, you know, when we fear God, and that's what we're kind of talking about. Remember what our Lord admonished? Don't fear him who can kill the body, but fear him after he's done killing the body can cast that soul into hell. See, when you fear God, you won't fear man, right? The Lord is my helper. What can man do against me? If the Lord be for us, who can stand against us? Do we understand that? Do we comprehend that? Does that renew our minds to the truth of this reality? Right? But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you fear God, you, you can't be intimidated. You can't be bribed. You can't be bought. And you will never be defeated. Because um, here's the thing. The most that men can do is what? Take our stuff, throw us in prison. Or kill us and just, you know, you know, just send us on to our eternal reward to be with our Lord forever. Brothers and sisters, they have no power over the soul. So I just want to conclude with this, brothers and sisters. There truly is victory in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I'm just going to remind you of what our Lord said in John 16. And I'll conclude with this. He said, in me you will have peace. Jesus is the eye of the storm. In him, we have peace in this crazy world. Now, he said, in this world, the world that you're in, but you're not of, he said, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. You're going to suffer. But listen, be of good courage. Our Lord has conquered this world. Can I get an amen? Well, brothers and sisters, uh, that's the end of this episode. I pray uh, it ministers to you and encourages you. And as always, I want to admonish you, keep pressing on to that high call and prize in Jesus' name. God bless you, saints. Till next time. Bye-bye.